0: Alright, your outline says Ezekiel 6 and 7, but we are just looking at Ezekiel chapter 6 tonight. This uh, message contains a transition from what, from the proclamation that we had last time against the nation in general. This one is going to be against the mountains and the high places and the detestable practices that they were doing. And so we're going to pick up here at 6 and uh, verse 1. Now you remember, that Ezekiel is not allowed to speak until God loosed his, his tongue. So, apparently, uh, I would say that all of the previous chapter has already transpired before this word came. So, you had all the 360, uh, what was it, 360 days that he was, um, <clears throat> 390 days that he was on the one side and 40 days on the other side. So, those 430 days would have already been completed more than likely by the time we get to Ezekiel chapter 6. I'll do this for you next next time we're together, but I wanted to show you the chart of how long the first section of Ezekiel is where he has the word towards uh, Israel, and then the middle section where he has the word towards the nations around. That's after the fall of Jerusalem. I want you to see how much time is in there. So we'll wait for that for another, uh, for the next time that we get together when we're on chapter 7. But here in chapter 6, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel, and prophesy against them. And say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Now he he starts this off with, O mountains of Israel, hear. This term mountains of Israel is used by Ezekiel 16 times. It is not used by anyone else. He seems to... I I can't really say that Ezekiel likes this phrase. It would seem to be that God likes Ezekiel using this phrase because Ezekiel is speaking the words of God. I I made a note in my outline on this that uh, uh, God had told him that the people were going to be hard. And he would make him harder. That they would not listen. They would not receive the message. And so this message is spoken to the mountains. To the valleys. To the ravines. Maybe God thinks that they'll be a more receptive audience. Remember the uh, rocks in the hills cry out and so forth. So maybe they, uh, God says that they're listening better. Speak to the mountains. Now, the mountains receive God's judgment here, but later His blessings will come to the mountains in chapter 36. We'll have to wait a while for that one. But the high places are in the mountains. He does, of course, speak to the hills, the ravines, and the valleys. There are other places of of, uh, idolatrous worship in these, but the high places are specifically mentioned, and pretty often, and they are in the mountains, which is why they're called the high places. Now, the high places characteristically uh, consist of of several basic elements. And in all the things I was doing today, I had actually pulled together uh, several pictures to show you and left them next door. So I was going to show you some of the uh, characteristics, some of the things of the high places. So we'll still be talking about them. The next time we're together, I'll bring them over for you at that time. But there was an altar for offering sacrifices. This was usually built out of stone or mud brick. There was a wooden pole to represent the female goddess of fertility called Asherah, or Asherah, however you wish to pronounce that. There was at least one stone pillar to represent the male deity of Baal. I have pictures of all these for you so that you can see them. There was a smaller incense altar with a tent for the use of eating sacrificed meals practicing sacred prostitution and for storage of the cultic vessels. These are the things that the high places would have. So you would have the uh, the female goddess Asherah, the male deity Baal, and then the tent. Now we don't have high places showing up on Israel's side until we get to 1 Samuel. God tells them when they go into here, that they are to take all the high places of the Canaanites and to destroy them. And we don't have any, uh, any high places attributed to them until 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 12. I don't think that, that I probably didn't write that one down. So I have it in mind. I think it was a later edition. I was going through here and I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't put the first occurrence of this in there. So I'll read this here to you. And they answered them and said, yes, there he is when this is when Saul was looking for Samuel, the, the seer. There he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. So here is Samuel going to the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Now why does a high place show up here? Why is Samuel going there when it seems that God's idea of high places is not very good? So you have to go back about five chapters. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, there's an event that all of you know. You may not just not be mindful that it happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel goes to war with the Philistines and in order to secure the victory, they bring the Ark of the Covenant with them. They lose the battle and the Ark of the Covenant. This is the one where Eli, the high priest, dies and his two sons. And judgment is carried out upon them. But they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh. Without the Ark of the Covenant, Shiloh became just another place. Because it was the Ark of the Covenant that made it the holy place. So now they have no holy place. So therefore, it seems that the high places came into being and were used even by Samuel because Shiloh had, didn't have the Ark. No place had the Ark. And so they began on these, these places. So can you imagine being disobedient to God, going into a, a battle the way that they did, Taking the Ark of the Covenant, which they shouldn't have taken, all the sins that Eli and his sons brought them into, led them to a place where the Ark was captured. The Ark being captured gave them the idea that we can have high places anywhere, and that sin never seemed to leave them. So they became a more convenient place to worship and sacrifice to Jehovah, and this is what they were initially. So even though they started out just as a more convenient place, you know, just like we, we like to go to the Wawa for milk or eggs or something like that because I don't want to go to the, the Giant or the Wegmans and wait in the line and go from one end of the store all the way to the other end of the store to get it as that you need. Just go into the Wawa and, you know, you're, you're out of there real, real fast. And, uh, there's more of them around. You can probably find one on your way home. You don't have to make the extra effort. It's the convenience factor. So you pay more money for it there, but we're, we're okay with paying more money. Because we can do that, and beside that you can stop and get a, you know, a thing of coffee or uh, whatever it else is that you might that you might like, so we 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 go with those kind of things, so they 're looking for convenience up till now they didn 't have convenience all they had was you had to go to Jerusalem in order to make the big sacrifices and to do these things for God, but now they have compromised this, and this is a I don't know if if this is something that the enemy, Satan, planned out from the beginning. But it surely would seem to be because these high places were just a constant thorn in the flesh to them. But they became more than just a, a a shorter distance to be able to sacrifice. They became compromised with idolatrous worship. And idolatrous practices began to work their way in to the high places. So they were still a place to worship Jehovah But there were some other practices that came in. Eventually some were just built for idol worships like the ones in the land when God had brought them in. Now Solomon worshipped that one in 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to see this. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. So the ark was back, but the practice had already started to uh, sacrifice at the high places. And so here even Solomon made this big sacrifice to God at a high place instead of the place where the ark was. Now, God's word against the high places comes in Leviticus 26, verse 1 and verse 30. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar. Shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Now, look at his wording on this. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image or a sacred pillar. Shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land. This is pretty much laying out the Asherah and Baal. And, uh, how those, how those two were worshipped. He says, you shall not do it. Verse 30, I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. That's the warning in Leviticus about it. In Numbers 33 and verse 52, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded image, images and demolish all their high places. He didn't just want them to ignore them. He wanted them to demolish them. He wanted them to go in and smash them to bits, make them so they couldn't be used anymore. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 29, happier you are Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Now David speaks to them at the death of Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1 and verse 19. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How? The mighty have fallen. <clears throat> of course, uh, there in David, uh, David is the one who goes and. Uh, I'm sorry, Saul is the one who went and and uh, brought the ark back, but still the high places are in operation even uh, even when David is, uh, he's not quite king yet. He's saying this at the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan and he has not been made king as of yet but still he refers to high places but he talks about them as being the lord's high places so other stuff had not been mixed in with them yet Jeroboam makes them in the northern tribes in 1st kings 12 and verse 31 he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who are not of the sons of levi Now Hezekiah had torn some of these down And the king of Assyria makes mention of these in his discourse to them that Isaiah tells us about in verse 7 of chapter 36. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? So he knows that that Hezekiah has torn down some of the high places that were set up to worship Jehovah. And he's saying, how can you say Jehovah is going to save you when Hezekiah has torn down some of his high places? Now, he doesn't realize that the high places were were not to be used. But uh, the children of Israel didn't answer him in in this case. Now, later on, Josiah, of course, tears them down once he finds out what the book says. But once he dies, the people rebuild them. But I've saved... One of the most intriguing narratives here for the end. And this comes in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is where Elijah meets the prophets of Baal and Asherah. In verse 30 of chapter 18, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was bro- broken down. What altar of the Lord are they at? Do you remember where this meeting took place? Very famous mountain. Mount Carmel. On Mount Carmel is where this is is met. This is not a place where the Ark ever resided. Preparing an altar of the Lord. What altar is it? It's a high place. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that has that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then when the stones he built then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two says of seed. And you know the rest of the story. He put the water on it, and the fire came down from heaven and burned up the, the water. The stone, the altar, the sacrifice, everything. It came down from heaven. And of course he was mocking the uh the the other prophets, and then after God showed himself up so strong they went and they slaughtered the priests of of Asherah and Baal, and then he outran the chariot to get on home. So God seems to be in this, doesn't he? But this is a high place. Now how is it that God can be against the high places and yet he uh he's okay, it seems to be he's okay with this. Now there could be some reason for it. First off, he offers uh, the sacrifice on this, of course, and not Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is not under Ahab's control. So if he's going to get Ahab and his prophets to meet, he probably cannot get them to meet in Jerusalem. And that may be the simple reason for it. We have to have a place in the land of Israel, the northern tribes, where he will come and, and be able to do this. <clears throat> so he meets where he can. But there is a statement that you may never... I don't know that I paid as much attention to this. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. But it sure jumped out at me when we're looking here at the high places. And this statement is in 1 Kings chapter 19, and verse 10. So he said... This is Elijah talking to God. "...I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel." have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, plural, and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone, and left, and they seek to take my life. Now you remember, he repeated this a number of times. (laughs) Torn down your altars. Elijah sees these high places as altars of Jehovah. Now does he use this altar because he sees them as legitimate. Just understand this, just because you're a man or a woman of God doesn't mean that everything that you do is, is of God. Remember Abraham, great man of God. How many times did he make a mistake? There was a smaller incense altar with a tent for the use of eating sacrificed meals practicing sacred prostitution and for storage of the cultic vessels. These are the things that the high places would have. So you would have the, uh, the female goddess Asherah, the male deity Baal, and then the tent. Now we don't have high places showing up on Israel's side until we get to 1 Samuel. God tells them when they go into here, That they are to take all the high places of the Canaanites and to destroy them. And we don't have any, uh, any high places attributed to them until 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 12. I don't think that, that I probably didn't write that one down. So I have it in mind. I think it was a later edition. I was going through here and I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't put the first occurrence of this in there. So I'll read this here to you. And they answered them and said, yes, there he is when this is when Saul was looking for Samuel, the, the seer. There he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. So here is Samuel going to the high place. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way to the high place. Now why does a high place show up here? Why is Samuel going there when it seems that God's idea of high places is not very good? So you have to go back about five chapters and in 1 Samuel chapter 4, there's an event that all of you know, you may just not be mindful that it happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel goes to war with the Philistines and in order to secure the victory, they bring the Ark of the Covenant with them. They lose the battle and the Ark of the Covenant. This is the one where Eli, the high priest, dies and his two sons. And judgment is carried out upon them. But they don't have the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh. Without the Ark of the Covenant, Shiloh became just another place. Because it was the Ark of the Covenant that made it the holy place. So now they have no holy place. So therefore, it seems that the high places came into being and were used even by Samuel because Shiloh had, didn't have the Ark. No place had the Ark. And so they began to, to sacrifice on these, these places. So can you imagine being disobedient to God, going into a, a battle the way that they did, taking the Ark of the Covenant which they shouldn't have taken all the sins that Eli and his sons brought them into led them to a place where the Ark was captured the Ark being captured gave them the idea that we can have high places anywhere and that sin never seemed to leave them so they became a more convenient place to worship and sacrifice to Jehovah and this is what they were initially so even though they started out just as a more convenient place, you know, just like we we like to go to the Wawa for milk or eggs or something like that, because I don't want to go to the the Giant or the Wegmans and wait in the line and go from one end of the store all the way to the other end of the store to get it as that you need. Just go into the Wawa, and you know you're you're out of there real real fast. And uh, there's more of them around. You can probably find one on your way home. You don't have to make the extra effort. It's the convenience factor. So you pay more money for it there, but we're we're okay with paying more money. Because we can do that, and beside that you can stop and get a, you know, a thing of coffee or uh, whatever it else is that you might that you might like, so we 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 go with those kind of things so they 're looking for convenience up till now they didn 't have convenience all they had was you had to go to Jerusalem in order to make the big sacrifices and to do these things for God, but now they have compromised this, and this is a I don't know if, if this is something that the enemy, Satan, planned out from the beginning, but it surely would seem to be because these high places were just a constant thorn in the flesh to them. But they became more than just a, a, a shorter distance to be able to sacrifice. They became compromised with idolatrous worship and idolatrous practices began to work their way in to the high places. So they were still a place to worship Jehovah. But there were some other practices that came in. Eventually some were just built for idol worships like the ones in the land when God had brought them in. Now Solomon worshipped that one in First Kings chapter 3. And we're going to see this. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David. Until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem meanwhile the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days and Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places so the ark was back but the practice had already started to uh sacrifice at the high places and so here even Solomon made this big sacrifice to God at a high place instead of the place where the ark was. Now God's word against the high places comes in Leviticus 26, verse 1 and verse 30. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar. Shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Now look at his wording on this. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image or a sacred pillar, shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land. This is pretty much laying out the Asherah and Baal and uh, how those how those two were worshipped. He says, you shall not do it. Verse 30, I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. That's the warning in Leviticus about it. In Numbers 33, in verse 52, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. He didn't just want them to ignore them. He wanted them to demolish them. He wanted them to go in and smash them to bits. Make them so they couldn't be used anymore. Deuteronomy thirty three and verse twenty nine "Happier you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. Now David speaks to them at the death of Saul and Jonathan in 2 Samuel 1 and verse 19. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How? The mighty have fallen. <clears throat> of course, uh, there in David. Uh, David is the one who goes and uh, I'm sorry Saul is the one who went and and uh, brought the ark back, but still the high places are in operation even uh, even when David is uh, he's not quite king yet. He is saying this at the death of Saul and the death of Jonathan and he has not been made king as of yet, but still he refers to high places but he talks about them as being the Lord's high places, so other stuff had not been mixed in with them yet. Jeroboam makes him in the northern tribes in first kings 12 and verse 31 he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who are not of the sons of levi now hezekiah had torn some of these down and the king of assyria makes mention of these in his discourse to them that isaiah tells us about in verse 7 of chapter 36 but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Yes. So he knows that, he, that Hezekiah has torn down some of the high places that were set up to worship Jehovah. And he's saying, how can you say Jehovah is going to save you when Hezekiah has torn down some of his high places? Now he doesn't realize that the high places were, were not to be used. But, uh, the children of Israel didn't answer him in, in this case. Now later on, Josiah, of course, tears them down once he finds out what the book says. But once he dies, the people rebuild them. But I've saved one of the most intriguing narr- narratives here for the end. And this comes in 1 Kings chapter 18. And this is where Elijah meets the prophets of Baal at Asherah. In verse 30 of chapter 18, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was bro- broken down. What altar of the Lord are they at? Do you remember where this meeting took place? Very famous mountain. Mount Carmel. Well, Mount Carmel is where this is, is met. This is not a place where the ark ever resided. If he is repairing an altar of the Lord, what altar is it? It's a high place. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then when the stones he built, then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two stays of seed. And you know the rest of the story. He put the water on it and the fire came down from heaven and burned up the, the water, the stone, the altar, the sacrifice, everything. It came down from heaven. And of course he was mocking the, uh, the, the other prophets and then after God showed himself up so strong they went and they slaughtered the priests of, of Asherah and Baal and then he outran the chariot to get on home so God seems to be in this doesn't he but this is a high place now how is it that God can be against the high places and yet he uh he's okay it seems to be he's okay with this now there could be some reason for it first off he offers uh, the sacrifice on this, of course and not Jerusalem but Jerusalem is not under Ahab's control so if he's going to get Ahab and his prophets to meet he probably cannot get them to meet in Jerusalem and that may be the simple reason for it we have to have a place in the land of Israel the northern tribes where he will come and, and be able to do this <clears throat> so he meets where he can but there is a statement that you may never... I don't know that I paid as much attention to this. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. But it sure jumped out at me when we're looking here at the high places. And this statement is in 1 Kings chapter 19, and verse 10. So he said... This is Elijah talking to God. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars. Plural. And killed your prophets with the sword. I alone and left and they seek to take my life. Now you remember he repeated this a number of times. (laughs) Torn down your altars. Elijah sees these high places as altars of Jehovah. Now does he use this altar because he sees them as legitimate? just understand this, just because you're a man or a woman of God doesn't mean that everything that you do is is of God. Remember Abraham, great man of God. How many times did he make a mistake? Did something he's not supposed to do. We got uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Why? See, he decided to do something and it wasn't right. He went down to Egypt. Why? Because things weren't quite the way he wanted and he he went on his own way. Um, I don't know what to tell you on this because <laughs> you can go either way either the reason this, this altar is used is because Elijah sees it as legitimate or God used it because he couldn't get him down to the real one. Got to be one of those two. <laughs> but isn't that interesting that uh, Elijah's view of these altars is a lot more legitimate than I think we would we would think he would have. Verse 4. Then your altars shall be desolate. Your incense altars shall be broken. And I will cast down your slain men before your idols. I will lay the corpse of, your, of the children of Israel before their idols and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling places... The cities shall be laid waste and the high places shall be desolate so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down and your works may be abolished. Now his, God's view of these, these altars is not very high. He says they're going to be made desolate. I'm going to take your incense altars we're going to break them down. He says, I will cast down your slain before your idols. There's going to be dead people laying around there. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. That's a way to desecrate an altar. In all your dwelling places the cities shall be laid waste. The cities shall be laid waste, not just the altars. And the high places shall be desolate so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. And then, of course, again, your incense altars may be cut down and your works may be abolished. Now, in chapter 7, we're going to see this later on, that there is a... It seems to be that God takes these dead bodies and there's a certain wording in chapter 7 that seems to indicate that these bodies are not buried. That we have a, a whole lot of dead bodies all around these altars and they're not buried. And if you have a dead body is laying all around, what happens You've got uh, if you just leave them there? You know, there's a reason why we bury dead bodies. Because if you just leave them laying around, they, they smell, but disease comes up. Disease begins to, to become uh, uh, prominent. And that's one of the things he's going to be saying is going to happen is disease. Now, this word here for idol. There's a lot of different words that can be used for idol. This particular one, giloh, is used 39 times by Ezekiel. It is used 48 times total in the Word of God. 39 of the 48 are in Ezekiel. Leviticus uses it once. Deuteronomy uses it once. Kings uses it six times, and Jeremiah uses it once. There are other words that they use for idols beside this one. This particular one, I think is a favorite for Ezekiel because it sounds like, the pronunciation of it, sounds like the word for detestable things. Verse 7. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord, yet I will leave a remnant, so that you will have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Remember he said that last time. There would be a little bit that would be, be there. He said take a little bit, tuck it in your, in your, your coat, and even out of that many of those died. Mm-hmm. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. Because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evil, which they committed in all their abominations. So God says, you crushed me. Some translations put it that you broke my heart. That uh, there's a great sadness in the heart of God that is not caused by other nations. But it's caused by his nation forsaking him and going after these other idols. This is never used to describe God's heart when the other nations had gone, after, had gone after idols. When the Canaanites had gone after idols, God didn't use this, didn't say he was crushed. When the Assyrians, when the Babylonians, when Syria, when all these other, Egypt, all these other nations pursued other gods, God never said he was heartbroken over it. The way he's saying here, I was crushed. You're my people. You're the ones that I delivered. You're the ones that I, I shown myself strong on. Ten plagues pulled you out of Egypt. Destroyed that nation and preserved you. Carried you through the wilderness all those years. Fed you. Miraculous things going on with water coming from rocks and enemies destroyed. And God says, you forgot all that. You crushed me. Because your heart was filled with adultery going after other gods. You departed from me. And he said, in their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in their abominations. So God says, you broke my heart because you're going to loathe Yourselves for all this evil that's going to come upon you. In verse 10, And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. It says, Don't think, don't think this is smoke and mirrors. You've got other prophets in the land that are saying that you're going to be restored in a couple of years. You've got other prophets in the land saying that I'm not behind this. But he's speaking through Jeremiah. He's speaking through Ezekiel. He's speaking probably through other ones as well. And he's telling them, I am behind this. I am going to destroy the land. I'm going to destroy the city. I'm going to destroy the high places. There's going to be death among the children of Israel and I'm going to be behind it. I am sending judgment upon this nation. And he says, and you will know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. Verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, pound your fists, stomp your feet, and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by by pestilence. Now these are the same things that are predicted in the book of Deuteronomy and other places. In the Old Testament, when God says, if you forsake me, this is what's going to happen. The five stages, the five stages of rebellion. And God says, here's the first one. If you don't reply, respond to that, here's the second. If you don't do that, here's the third. You don't reply to that, here's the fourth. There are five stages of it. Now, if you come back before the fifth stage, you're in better shape than if you wait until the fifth stage. No nation on the earth have survived all five stages and lived as a nation except for Israel. Israel survived it twice. They went through all five stages and God still brought them back. But no other nation has. So, sword, famine, pestilence. He's going to give a little more detail here on this one. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. In other words, he who gets away from the, the, uh, the city and gets... Out in other places, either you got uh, captured and you were taken into captivity, or you escaped altogether and you hid in another country, wherever it is, pestilence is going to find you. Disease is going to come after you, and you will die of that disease. Don't think just because you got away from the city that you're going to you're going to make it. You will you will die he who is near shall fall by the sword so if you go out to defend the city you're going to die by the sword if you stay in the city and they come in you may die by the sword that may be the way that you go and he who remains and is besieged those that are held up in the in the city and come under the siege they shall die by famine so you're going to die isn't that a great prophecy? You're gonna die. Depending upon where you go, is depending upon where you're gonna die. You're either gonna die by famine if you stay in the city and be besieged. You're gonna die by the sword if you go out and defend the city. Or if they, uh, if you survive the famine, and uh, they come into the city, they may kill you with the sword. Or if you get away somehow, they don't find you. You, you hide in some hole somewhere and they don't uncover you. And you escape to some other, some other place, uh, disease is gonna find you. So he's basically saying, pick which way you want to die. I don't know if you were if if someone was going to tell you, if God told you you're going to die one of three ways. Either you're going to die from starvation, you're going to die from from a disease, pestilence, or you're going to die by the sword. Which one would you pick? I'd pick the sword. That's that's quick. It's over right away. (laughs) You know, if you're gonna believe the word of God and says, Well, God, if I'm gonna die and these are the ways, then I'm just gonna go out there right now. And just let them, let them kill me. Go ahead and kill me. There's going to be a few who, who, um, who don't. And I, I imagine that those are not ones who would believe this word. He said, Thus I will spend my fury upon them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When they're slain, or among their idols, all around their altars, on every high hill, and on the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak wherever they offer sweet incense to all their idols. Now, the reason that all these dead people are around their altars, are around their high places, is because these are the gods they trust in. And so, when the when the famine, when the pestilence, when the sword comes, they're going to run to their gods. And if you're a god, that's just got to make you madder. If you were crushed... At the beginning of all this. Why are you sent it to be to begin with? And here they are when they face pestilence, when they face sword, when they face famine. They go run into the high places. They go run into the altars. They go running to their to their idols. God's got to say, Are you kidding me? These are the gods that you go after for protection? You haven't learned yet? My prophets have gone and they have spoken the word. They have told you these things are coming and when they are here, you don't repent and come back to me? And so they, they die by the way that God said. And they're just strewn all about the high places. And God says, I'll show you what I think about these high places. And He scatters dead bodies all over the place. And we're going to find out in the next chapter those dead bodies don't get buried. And if you got a whole mess of dead bodies running around, that's, that's no good. Um, my, my running buddy John was out on a, on a cycling, uh, episode with me. He, uh, he, he was banged up his knee running on some, uh, bed, bed stuff. And one of the, he gets, he gets shipped to other places on, and uh, this one I think was somewhere in New York. And he was running, he said on an uneven sidewalk and he got his knee sore. He said, Would you mind going on a right on a on a cycle with me? I said, Absolutely, come on. So we get jumping the bites and we're riding on down the road, and all of a sudden, boy, we smelled something to oh, it was awful. And so right there on the 202, uh some deer got hit and had uh, fallen right next right next to the path we were riding on, and uh we were downwind, so we were smelling it before we came upon it, and we came upon it and said, Oh man, that's what it is. Oh, it they'd been dead for a couple of days. That's just one deer. Can you imagine? Littered with bodies all over. What that would smell like. Disease growing. If anybody else came upon that, that place, disease would be all over them. But imagine that they go running to these gods. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when they're slain or among their idols all around their altars. See, they went to them and they didn't help them. On every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla in all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I spent some time figuring out where Dibla was. And uh, there's a couple of good ideas where this is because there is no real place called Dibla. Uh, there's a couple of places that have Dibla in the name. Um, but really, all you need to know is that this picture that it had for them was a very desolate place. He said, I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla. Now Dibla, some of the places that they have for this was not a desolate place, but it's saying the wilderness between there and and this, this Dibla place, uh, that wilderness, it's going to be more desolate than that. He says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. so we got three groups of people that are dying the pestilence the sword and the famine what we have though is that first off we have the true worship that God has and the true worship was done at at, uh, the ark at the tabernacle and that tabernacle was, was portable it would move from place to place and for the longest time it was in Shiloh but when they lost the ark of the covenant it opened the doors for the high places to come in and though it doesn't seem that the children of Israel were open to the high places until that happened, once they came in, they never seemed to be able to get rid of them. And they came in as legitimate places to worship, where they worship Jehovah. But they had to compromise some things in the book of the law in order to make them work. Because you were offering some sacrifices at places where the Ark of the Covenant and where the brazen altar and where all the other... Uh, Furniture for the tabernacle was, and you were making these without it. I don't know if they went as far as to make it without uh, the the priest. They certainly had to make some of these without the high priest. And there were some alt- some sacrifices that were made by the high priest. Now, if you don't have the high priest uh, doing this, making these sacrifices, and it went on for a number uh, for for a while. It wasn't uh, it wasn't just a couple of months. This was a, this was a while and it was long enough for them to go out there and to find an alternative way. And it sure came up quickly what they could do. Well, you know, we had these, uh, these places. This is where the, the Canaanites used to worship. And the idea came to go up there and to, and to do that. And certainly God did not plant this in them. But the enemy came and even though they were doing what seemed to be legitimate worship, they were doing it in the wrong places. And not the way that God said. So no matter how good their intentions were, for them to do these sacrifices and to do this worship at a high place, they had to compromise something. Something was lost. Because they were not in the place that God said to in His Word. And this is something that we have very much going on today. Because we have mixed the world with Jesus. We have mixed the world with Jesus in our attitudes and worship. We have mixed the world in our habits and prayer. How many things do we do in prayer that are not in the Word of God? We got some some denominations that have things in your hand or things that you say or certain ones beside Jesus that you pray to. These are not things that the Word of God teaches us to do ever. There is no place in the Word of God that teaches it. The church that they are in teaches these things. There's churches that we have been in that taught us to ask God for things that the Word of God never authorized us to ask. Never said, ask God to heal you. You know, when we do the the prayer line with, with people and we ask for prayer requests, Every time that they ask for, I need healing for this thing, every time they do it, I send them the scriptures. This is what the scripture says. It says, lay hands on. There is no place in the Word of God where it says, I'm gonna stay here at home, you go and ask for prayer. The only time we have in the Word of God where they stayed at home was times when they came and they got Jesus, and they brought him in, or the person going had authority over the one. When the Father came about the Son. Or the centurion came about the servant. Or the father came about the daughter. They had authority over them. And those people couldn't move. Well, you had the lame man who was brought to Jesus. Well, he couldn't move, so they put him on a bed and they carried him to Jesus. But the example we have in the Word of God is the laying on of hands, or Jesus would speak to them, speak to the disease. This is what went on. But this is what we like to do. Well, we still see a number of people. I remember growing up in church and this is what they did on a regular basis. How many people here have a prayer request, an unspoken prayer request? And people all over the church would raise their hand. I have an unspoken prayer request. All right. Well, God sees that. Father, You, I pray for all these... Uns- How can you pray for an unspoken prayer request? <laughs> I love Brother Higgins uh way well, he dealt with this. Uh, somebody came up to him and they were asking for prayer. And... And he says, uh, "He says, well, what can I pray for you for?" And she said, "Do I have to tell you?" His response was, "Well, I'm not going to pray if you don't." He says, "If you came up here and you wanted a prayer, you want me to either agree with you in prayer, or you want me to pray the prayer of faith. And if I don't know what it is, I can't have faith for it, and I can't agree." And she just said, "Oh, okay," and just proceeded to to go on out there and to and to to tell them what it was. And um, don't need to get into the, the request. There was an unscriptural prayer request that she was asking for. And so he was able to deal with it in the in a scriptural way. But you see, we, we fall into these things and, uh, and we become passionate about it. If you speak up about these kind of things and tell people well, that's not how we're supposed to pray, they get mad at you. They'll get angry. You see, because those things have mixed themselves in. And if regardless of the fact that I have absolutely no word on this at all, I am going to do it this way. <laughs> That's just how we are with the with the thing. And uh even some practices in worship that God has specifically barred and said don't do it. People still do it. Well, I just like doing it that way. You got people who say, "Well, I don't um I don't want to I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in, in church. I had one person who come up there on the, on the prayer request thing and they just were, were saying all kinds of, just not real nice things. And they were accusing, uh, uh, they accused, but specifically they accused me of, uh, you know, you're just a, um, charlatan or, you know, so I didn't use that term, but they used come some kind of thing like that, that all preachers are this way. And so I, I exhort them and said, well, it's interesting that you're here having a discourse with one. And that's what you're thinking. And they fired back something else. And so I, I, I just said, well, I might as well tell them what the truth is on and the, and the thing. So I just let them know and said, um, <clears throat> trying to think how I put it to him. Now I says, look, I says, there may be some ministers who have let you down. There may be some ministers who have, who have um, faltered as far as you are concerned, but that doesn't give you the right to forsake the word of God. And I didn't tell him all this, but Jesus has said there's going to be false people that are going to come in my name. He warned you about it. If you get hurt by them, it's your own fault. He, you cannot get before God and says, well, God, I got burned by preachers. And God's going to say, I told you there were some bad ones out there. I told you to watch for them. I said to test them. And I said in, my, in your spirit, I'd warn you. But I also said there'd be right ones. And you were responsible to find them. I don't know if people always understand that. We're responsible for finding the right ones and to listen to the Word of God that is being preached. That's our responsibility. But you see, we mix in, well, I don't need church. Well, I don't need to go to church. And then people need need the support of a church and they don't have it. The devil just gets people offended, gets them flying from this place over here to this place, over here to this place, just bouncing back and forth all over. They never get any roots. They never get any family. Never get any close ties. And that's that's not good. They come into church late, they leave church early. That's not the case here. I understand. We get to church early, we stay church late. <laughs> that's just how we do it. I, I'm totally okay with that. That's, because it's it's not just the worship of us together, it's not just the preaching of the word together, it's not just the ministry, it's also the fellowship. And we gotta we gotta have that. And um but there's a whole lot of mixing of the world that comes in our expectations of God we've let let the world come in and and change their expectations and how many people not not I'm not preaching to you folks but you all know how many people have the idea well God is in control I've seen this one put out there a number of times well God won't give me anything I can't handle yeah that's wrong because you can make your own stupid mistake, put yourself in a place where you're going to get something, and God says, I had nothing to do with that. That was your own stupidity. That's because you disobeyed my word. You look at what Israel's is going through here, that Ezekiel's is promising is coming, and how many of you say, that's more than they can handle. God says, it sure is. <laughs> but they're not supposed to be here. This is not where I told them to be. I warned them. Told them. They refused. But we have these expectations of God. We talked about ultra grace. That people have this idea that um, God won't send anyone to hell. God's not going to judge anyone. That's not the God in the the Bible. God says here in this book, I'm going to judge you. (laughs) Judgment is coming. Even when Josiah repented, God said, that's all right. I appreciate your repentance, but it's still coming. I'm still going to judge you. We change or we alter the Word of God. Well, I don't like that uh, the Word of God says that this is sin. So we're just going to change that. And we got churches that are afraid to, to say that homosexuality is sin. We got churches that are afraid to say that marriage between a man and a man is not right. Or between a woman and a woman is not right. But the Word of God says that it's not right. Doesn't mean that we hate them. But of course, that's how they're, they're, they're branding people like that. Because that's the that's the spirit of any Christ, attack the uh, the character of the person, slander them. And that's what they do. Did it in the Old Testament? Did it in the New Testament? Does it today? They change or they alter the Word of God. We have compromises that take root and they weaken us. This compromise of the high places took root in Israel and never got they never got rid of it. No matter what they did to it, it just, it just constantly plagued them. Eventually they got worked in with idolatrous worship, and pretty soon it wasn't even a compromise between Jehovah and idol- idolatrous worship. It was straight up idolatrous worship. I got this quote for you. I found this and I was looking around here today. You can fill this in and, and have it for you. Fear must teach men the lesson which love has failed to teach. God will send judgment to teach people if they won't learn it through love. God desired that they learn the lesson through the great love that God had for them. But they didn't learn it then. So now it comes another way. Now I wanted to have this picture of what an Asherah uh, looks like. And it's a female deity. And uh, it's a goddess of fertility. So it can kind of give you an idea of... Uh, some of the things that are a part of this. Sometimes you'll see that they look like a tree on some of the images they have and they have roots that go down on the on the bottom. These are things that they've carved out. And the top is a is a woman. And the um the, the breasts are accentuated and the woman is naked. And this, the the deity of Baal has some uh, other things that is basically a bull. But there are some things about that they trying to uh accentuate the, the sexuality of the, of the worship. And this would be, be brought in. And as I'm doing some research, I know that uh, there is some, some supposition that there's a lot of similarity between the goddess Asherah, the goddess Ashtart, and the Starbucks logo. So I did some uh, research on it to, to find out. And the, um, Starbucks logo is actually of a different sort and a different, uh, different place than, um, than the Asherah. It's not good, but it's, it's not quite that. And so I, I saw a lot there. So I just wanted to take something like this and just, uh, let you know about it. But there's uh, quite a story that goes behind this and it's all from Greek mythology or some type of myso- mythology that had gone on. But the, the Starbucks themselves will tell you that this logo comes from a, a sirene. And if you look at the evolution of the of the uh, logo, if you go back, I think it was in the seventies when it started, uh they actually had a bare breasted woman on the cup. And they eventually um, had the hair hang down to cover her up. But that was not the way it was initially. The first two the logos of that had it uh, uh had it that way and then the the last two uh kind of zeroed in on it more but if you look back at the early ones, the ones in the 70s and I think the other one came out uh, uh, maybe late 70s or early 80s, somewhere in there. Uh, I had all that in one of my images. You're going to be able to see all the different in the progression of this. Uh, what this is, is a two-tailed sirene by the name of Melusine, L- M-E-L-U-S-I-N-E, Melusine. And she is the daughter of another one another one of these goddesses and this is the particular one because she is one who has a, she looks like a mermaid with two tails and if you look at the full logo it is, a, uh, uh, it, it is an exact replica of this uh, some of the early depictions of this and the, initially they had the the two tails coming up and her arms are hanging on one, one on each tail and so the first two things you see of this you'll see the uh, uh her arms out there and the two tails. The second two, they zoom in on it. And you can you eventually lose the uh the picture of the two tails, though you can still see them a little bit in there, and they haven't moved and they haven't changed any of it except for the hair. They, uh, they had the hair draped over her front more. But she is uh this this particular sirene is a daughter of Prisina. And Prisina had married this particular uh uh Man, I believe it was. I believe it was just a, a, a man. And Priscina agreed to marry this man as long as he would, uh, never visit her on the Sabbath. And so that meant that she didn't go to church with him. He was not very happy about that. And they had three daughters. And eventually the curiosity got the best of him. And so one time he stayed back from church and he went to um, spy on his wife. And he found out that uh on the on one day out of the week she um, she turned into this this thing where she wasn't completely human and she had a, a, a tail like a, a I don't know like a, a fish or a a mermaid or something like that. And so she found out that he had done this and she got mad at him. This is the, this is the fable. Understand. She got mad at him. And so she took the three daughters and she left them. And so then, um, uh, this sirene, Melusin, Melusin, she got married and she had the same agreement, a, a similar agreement with her husband and that she would not be seen when she was taking a bath, which she took every seven days. So on the day that she took a bath, he was to leave her alone. And well, one time the curiosity got the best of him. And so he went in and, uh, and, uh, watched her. And when she, when she had taken the bath, she would turn into this, uh, monster with the, with the two, the two tails. And he was, uh, shocked by that. And she got mad when that happened. And I believe she was the one who, uh, got angry and became a, uh, a, a, a dragon and flew off that's the one that they uh, have on the cup. They don't uh, really they don't really try and cover that up or hide that. Um, they did uh, put some explanations for it which if you look in history are not true but they may not have been as, as uh, um, into history. I think they tr- attributed back to something in the 16th century that uh, uh, as I was told if it happened the way that they said, it would be like us having a selfie of Abraham Lincoln. The technology for a selfie, of course, wasn't around when Abraham Lincoln was there. Or a Polaroid shot of, uh, you know, somebody even later in history. You know, they're, they're mixing technology and it just wasn't there. But anyway, uh, that company, if you will, uh, understand that, and there's a whole lot more to this history that I read about, uh, that I could have gotten into uh, in fact uh, I think it was one of the daughters of the uh, Melisene, or something like that but there's another another one here that uh, is very much against babies and it's in this history of it and one of the things that Starbucks supports the, uh, a great deal and why a lot of Christians have boycotted them is their support for Planned Parenthood and a number of other organizations in the area of um, uh, abortion, but if you look at the history that's in with these these sirens and these goddesses, there is an aversion for babies that is mixed in. It, I, it was something I didn't write her name down. It was uh, Lilith or, or something along those those lines. I, I can't remember what her name was. But anyway, if you want to do some research on that, you can come up with some things. And you will find it. But there are a number of compromises that we're making with these things and you know, sometimes when we see a company that has outwardly compromised the, the word of God and we come up with some reasons, well I'm still gonna go and get the things that I wanna get and still um, give them my business. I know they're not right, I know that and eventually, you know, that one company is, is bad this way, another company is bad this way, and pretty soon you're not gonna be buying anything at all. but um, I don't know some of these companies that just they just seem to really throw it in your face what they're what they're trying to do and what they're being about so you you make prayer about it you decide what you're going to do with them but the main thing we have to look at here out of this is do not let the world mix in with your worship there are many things that we do in the area of worship that are cultural the word of God does not tell us how long to have church it doesn't tell us what instruments to have. It doesn't tell us to start with singing and end with preaching. It doesn't tell us any of these things. We have done all of these and it's all based on culture. And if one culture does the, the teaching of the Word of God first and then they get into worship or if they, uh, uh, instead of having a two-hour service, they have a five-hour service or they have a one-hour service or they have a 30-minute, we cannot say that they're unscriptural because the Word of God does not say how long church service should last does not say what aspects of it ought to go on. It doesn't say what kind of instruments you ought to have, or, or or so forth. It does mention some instruments in the Word of God, but it doesn't say, certainly doesn't say that you have to have all these things going on. It doesn't say that you have to. Thou shalt sing hymns. Of course, a lot of the hymns that we sing in churches that we think are sacred and have to be part of it weren't even written in the time of the Bible. And some of the hymns that they sang, we might say, "Ooh, I don't like that at all." There's a lot of culture that is involved in the, in worship. And God is okay with culture being involved with worship. But don't let the world get involved. And that's what we have to be careful of. There's a lot of, a lot of world that goes on. As I was doing some of the looking up of the, the Asherah and some of the things, there was a lot of references that were made to certain monuments that they were similar. They are not similar to the Asherah. Don't try and say that any monument because it's straight or it looks like a pillar has anything to do with this particular type of of uh, worship. That is that is not anything going along with it at all. I've heard some references to Christmas trees as far as the Asherah is concerned. If you saw what the Asherah looks like, if you saw what was involved with it, you would say Christmas tree is not in the same ballpark. And um, so just be careful. That's some of the things that uh, people want to say well, this is over here. Do some of your research on it yourself and find out, uh, find out what's going on on the thing before you just uh, buy into it. But our attitudes in worship, our habits in prayer, our expectations with God—we got to make sure they come from the Word of God. And if they don't come from the Word of God, and God corrects us on it, then we need to make corrections in ourselves. Oh, I've been praying wrong. I've been doing wrong on that. I, sh- I shouldn't be doing that. That's what the Word of God says. And then we just fix it. We just fix it. Until you become to the knowledge of it, you can't fix it. But once you get the knowledge of it, I've got the world mixed in here a bit. Well, then we get the world out. And we go out there with what God did. And this is what God tried to do with Israel. Constantly telling them, get the high places out. You're mixing the world in with your worship. And eventually it will lead to greater compromises. And for Israel it did. They eventually began to bring in the idolatrous worship. And then they eventually began to even bring in ones that had child sacrifice. And they began to embark and all that. And uh, that's the slippery slope God says stay off of. Don't get mixed up. Well, Father, we thank you for the warning that we have. And we can certainly apply it to the things that are going on today because we know the world is trying to mix itself in to our church. To the things that we do in worship, to the things we do in our understanding of God, to the things we do in the preaching of the Word. But, well, Father, you help us to stay pure. You show us those things and no, get rid of that. That's not something you need to have. And we can get rid of it. And I thank you, Father, that you give us the wisdom to do such. Not to be in a place of, of just law, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And then we start legislating to people, well, thou shalt not do that anymore. Father, we lose the spirit of what's going on. And I thank you that you help us to keep church what you would have it to be. To keep our worship and our lives going in the direction that you would have us to go. And to be resistant to the world being mixed in with what we have with you. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.